Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, good evening, and welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Kev Pogzowski. Kev, say hello. Hi, everybody. How are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, well, I even had a whole day out of the house this... Did uh, you? This, yeah. Legally? Yeah, yeah, le- yeah legally. We're allowed, uh, we're allowed out and see people in gardens and things. And yeah, it made a nice change. I'm not at all envious, Kev, I promise you. We're also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, you've been allowed out of your house for quite a while now. How are you? Yeah, I'm quite good. Um... Yeah, because of that, you know, in Australia, I think, uh, yeah, we can be grateful that uh, we do have this uh, freedom to move around because, yeah, sadly, uh, you guys in Europe are still quite restricted with your movement due to the pandemic, which, uh, you know, it's for me, even far away, it's sad to see because I would love to be there once it's safe for all of us to travel there once again. But, uh, you know, when you see football like this, you know, it also shows why I want to go back, you know. And that's what we're here to talk about the football because it was a fantastic round. And yeah, um, hopefully, when we're allowed to go to these stadiums, uh, we can be there and watch such action in the flesh. Look, don't Point worry about all that because I've got something important to talk to you about. I believe it was you. Okay. Um, yes. On your Instagram. Over the weekend, possibly, I might be getting things all mixed up because that's what I've been doing for the last 18 months. But you ate something that looked remarkable. Was it you that ate some sort of meat? Oh, yeah. I went In Melbourne, uh, we've got three Argentinian steakhouses. Oh, i got to admit, it was not me by myself. Uh, I was there with a cousin of mine and two friends of ours, so... Um, no, it was actually quite delicious, and uh, yeah, they, they're named after neighborhoods in Buenos Aires. So, I think uh, 
Also, considering that uh, Argentina's got a bit of Italian heritage and also um, there are a lot of Serie A players that originate from Argentina and they've made such great contributions to Serie A, it's, you know, it's a nice touch. And I love my steaks too. I rarely see food on Instagram and think, oh, I'd love a bit of that. But that was very much one of those moments. There's also, um, <laughs> I can't remember if it's an Argentinian restaurant or a Brazilian restaurant in Parma where I've had some phenomenal steaks like that as well. And it got me thinking about how much I want to go back to that restaurant when it's possible. <laughs> so thanks for that, Vito. Um, Kev- it, was, it wasn't churi, was it? And when I was in Buenos Aires, I, everybody was telling me to try this churi. And uh, outside of uh, Racing Stadium in Buenos Aires, it, it comes in a very sort of fresh but crusty roll. And it's like a chorizo-style sort of hot dog sausage. And it is... I'm, I was only there for three days. I must have had about five of them. Uh, yeah, get on that if you're ever in Argentina. Okay. Will do. Will do. Um, right, look, we're, now we got to talk about the football because it was quite a good weekend of Serie A. There were, astonishingly, 41 goals over the 10 games this weekend. And I, I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but it did seem like this weekend there were more than there would be in a normal high-scoring round. And I suppose... 4.1 goals per game does back that up. But Serie A for, I think, three consecutive seasons now, not including this one, has been the highest scoring of the top five European leagues, at least twice. I know that for sure. But only one team, Kev, didn't score out of Serie A's 20 clubs this weekend. And I don't know how often you could sit here and say 19 teams scored in Serie A over a weekend. The one team that didn't, Juventus, because they went to Bergamo and they lost against Atalanta for the first time in Serie A since 2001. And we're going to start there. I was not going to, but we're going to start there because what a result this was for Atalanta. And Kev, it was 1-0. Juve had their chances, but you'd be hard-pressed to say that Atalanta weren't good value for their win. Yeah, it was It was probably 60-40. You know, overall in, in Atalanta's favour, I think if it had ended nil nil, um, Atalanta would have been a little bit unhappy. But also, as a you know, with, with you were talking about the goals in Syria um, this weekend, it was probably you could probably argue it was the most entertaining game, even if the, it had remained nil nil. You know, and there's there's probably very few games that I watch um, or have watched over the years that have been that sort of gripping, considering this wasn't. Uh, an Atalanta side looking to maybe knock Juve off of the top spot, you know, because Juve had their problems this year. Obviously, there was a lot riding on it from with regards to the Champions League places. Um, but, but yeah, it was just a, a really, really decent game of football. It was a very, very decent game of football, but I've, are we going to point fingers at Juve or is this just a case of them losing a game that they, they could lose? Because Morata had a big chance and I don't know why he didn't shoot before he did. But for the most part, Atalanta kind of kept them at arm's length. And I want to give a lot of credit to Remo Freuler for his part in playing that typical protective role he has in front of the defense. But also, Jose Luis Palomino put in a shift that I have never seen from him before. Usually, he's overly aggressive and he comes out of his position far too often. But on Sunday, he... He was aggressive when he needed to be and he was composed when he needed to be. And I was just 
so impressed by Palomino to the extent that I've never seen him play even half as well as he did against Juventus. And this was in Romero's absence, Kevin. You've got to say, Palomino playing like this, it, one of the best defensive performances of the season. Yeah, it was. And it, it highlights that unlike some other games this year when Juve have dropped points, they've had a lot of possession. They've been very passive with it at the back. But the fact that we're talking about the performance of Palomino here shows how how at it, I suppose, they were for, for one of a more technical expression and that they were putting that pressure on the Atalanta defence. And it and it did involve that type of performance of Palomino without Romero, who's arguably been their best performing defender this season. And, you know, and then it was an all-round performance because they went up the other end and ultimately kept the pressure up in those final minutes and, and got a very um, well-deserved winner. We've seen this, this shift to a back four and we've spoken about it a bit, but today... Gasparini kind of surprised everyone in the absence of probably his best central defender. By going back to the back three, he did then during the game switch to the back four, which allowed Malinowski to come in and play in the role that he's been playing so well in recently. And Vito, in the end, it was Malinowski who got the goal, albeit through a big, big deflection off Alexandro. But Atalanta showing this tactical diversity. They've, they now know that they can actually beat Juventus. They play each other in the Coppa Italia final in a month's time. They're going to fancy themselves. And so they should. Um, in this uh, month or so of form, they've shown uh, that they can play in a back four, which is uh, usually quite unusual for uh, Gasparini's side because he's often been a staunch user of back three formations. Uh, the the form of Malinovsky has been incredible. I mean, uh, especially in the last month or so, he's shown a lot of uh, involvement in goals. Um, I think he's got something like five assists in the last four games and two, scored twice. So this formation change for him in particular, I think, has really got the best out of him. And uh, I've noticed that he's got the ability to play passes with uh, a great delicacy, which I didn't think he had because I've only really seen him since he's joined Atalanta. I didn't watch him in the Ukraine, obviously, and I didn't watch him play in the Belgian league. So his time with Ladea is my only experience of watching him play. And uh, his strengths lie in just shooting from distance and possessing a cannon of a shot. So when he is playing some delightful three balls, I thought, you know, I'm actually pleasantly surprised by that. Atalanta now go ahead of Juventus in Serie A. They're on 64 points to Juve 62, but they also importantly have that head-to-head lead over the Bianconeri now as well. Kev, but it might not matter because Atalanta are third, Juve are fourth. They might not qualify for the Champions League, but who cares? Because... The European Super League is coming. We're not going to talk in too much depth about this because we are expecting more news to emerge while we're recording this podcast. And it's going to make it too time sensitive if we do talk about it, whatever we say. But if you can, Kevin, a couple of words. European Super League, Milan, Inter and Juve, the Italian representatives, thoughts? Um, Ridiculous idea, largely on the basis of the the sort of the... um, inaccessibility to it. Um, you know, we obviously got the, the the route to the Champions League through qualification places, which is 
I think the main thing or the main issue that a lot of people have with it, um, for me at the moment, it just seems because we were having this vote to, uh, tomorrow at UEFA on the reformatting of the Champions League that it, it feels a little bit, as much as there's been a lot of noise on social media, that it's a, a bargaining chip for that, the, the vote on that um, tweak of the Champions League format for me. It is nonsense, isn't it? Like, complete nonsense. The fact that Milan have some sort of divine right to be in there despite being absolute dross for a decade and not being in the Champions League since, what, 2014, 2013, maybe? It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I did enjoy my um, my local team here in, in Ireland, Bray Wanderers. They're currently, I think, seventh in the first division, which is basically Serie B. It's the second tier. They put out a tweet saying we'd like to announce that we will not be taking part in the European Super League, which was pretty enjoyable. But Vito, Samp must have a claim to be in any European Super League if it's to come about. You must be happy about this. (laughs) Uh, Look, with all seriousness, Peach will probably fly before Samp in any sort of position to be in a European Super League. And if we're talking wishful thinking, the only hope they would uh, have is if I leave Australia, I get involved in the club in some capacity and we somehow win trophies miraculously. So, yeah, not much we can hope for. There you go, Vito. (laughs) Stick with you as we return to the actual football that we know is happening. Inter's 11-game winning run ended at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. I'm still not used to it. As they drew 1-1 against Napoli, they're still top. They're still nine points clear of Milan, and it's not going to do anything in the outcome of where the Scudetto ends up. No, I think the momentum in general will favour Inter. Um, I think they've got a pretty healthy gap at this stage of the season. And although the term Pazza Inter gets brought up here and there, um, I don't really expect them to have so much of a collapse for starters. And secondly, I don't think AC Milan will be able to make up that gap. Mm. Kev? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to talk about this game? Your thoughts? Oh, well, I, I, I thought he was instantly going to go on to the Napoli shirts. Right. I was uh, going to wait a bit and talk about football first, okay. but do you want to talk about it now? Well, I might as well, because I think, I think Vito summed up the, the game perfectly. I think um, Napoli, you know, Napoli probably missed an opportunity to to, to beat into, they, again, they probably, if they'd got a late goal, you would have said just shaded it, because into probably a, a playing now with that confidence that it has to be a monumental collapse for them to not win the league. Um, but yeah, let's get on the angel, angelic or whatever they were. Right. Well, should we? We should shirts. introduce it in case you've not seen it, or maybe you saw it, but because Serie A clubs playing so many kits anyway, you didn't take much note of it. But Napoli basically wore a shirt that was designed for the twenty twenty one twenty two season, and they decided to wear it as something of a like a preview, basically to get people going and buying it. And it's a combination of Kappa, obviously the big Italian sports brand who make Napoli's kits, and Marcello Berlon County of Milan, who are an Italian fashion brand. They've worked together to make this new thing, which 
at face value is a gorgeous, gorgeous football shirt. But Kev, I assume you've been tapping away at your spreadsheet. Um, well, I haven't completed this week's numbers yet. Actually, we we come on air straight after. Maybe if I'd had a bit of time, but you know, if it's next season's shirt, you know, I, I don't have too much issue. But you know, it does. It has become a bit farcical the last couple of years, where the usually the last two rounds of most European leagues is a a fashion parade yeah. of what kits are on offer next year, and I, I've never really understood that because usually you go to the stadium for the last game of the season and all the promotional materials out, you can pick your shirt up on the last day, which, you know, you've probably done 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I don't know where, why the team necessarily need to play it. I know there have been notable um, instances in, well, in, in Europe, I suppose, Chelsea were, uh, I suppose, requested to wear next season's kit in the 2008 Champions League final. And then when they were asked again in 2012 against Bayern Munich, they flatly refused mm. in sort of a, um, because of the omens of losing that final on penalties. So it's, yeah, you'd like to leave the marketing people out of football sometimes. Yeah, but that's not the way it works, is it? I mean, it's going to... Not happen. anymore. I do think it's a bit silly. I can understand wearing it for the last game of the season, you know, particularly, you know, when there's nothing to play for on the last game of the season, it gives fans something to be a little bit interested in, particularly younger fans on Kev. But this is the 31st round. There's still almost a third of the season to play. It shouldn't be happening. It's just silly. Wow. You know, we're, we're, we're playing in a pandemic. Maybe they need the quick um, mm. cash to come in. Um, maybe their financial year, you know, because uh, in the UK certainly you can, as an organisation, you can pick your financial years. I mean, it's probably a bit different when everybody has to stick to the same for financial planning things. But yeah, maybe a cash injection at this, um, you know, last eighteen months we've had is probably more important than when they're going to play in this shirt to promote it. Do you like the shirt? Yeah, I do think it's quite nice. Um, Didn't expect that to be honest from you. Well. Th- Sometimes there's it's one of those things. I think the what the the shirts that can real have a real unique design obviously come from, you know, a certain art artist or fashion designer can sometimes be too much of a fashion sort of shirt to for you to want to see your team in it every week for a season. Where actually I think this this hits a certain balance. I probably wouldn't want so much detail in it for it to be the standard away shirt, but no, it's it's quite it's quite a nice um Quite nice shirt. Can't remember which Napoli player it was. It might have been Giovanni De Lorenzo or Matteo Politano. They had tattoos on their leg. Anyway, whoever it was. And I thought it looked great on tattooed people because it had that that kind of vibe to it. I'm very much a fan. Very much a fan. So I'm looking forward to seeing that a little bit more next season. And when they undoubtedly decide halfway through the season, that's their new kit that they're wearing for every game. And they wear it to the point that we're sick of seeing them in it. But... Anyway, onto the football. Vito, Ewan Burns wrote the report for us for this game, and he thought that Napoli were a little bit unlucky to not come out with all three points, despite their goal being one of the funniest you're likely to see this season. Would you agree with that, or do you think that the draw was perhaps fair? Uh, look, with the way Napoli play, um, I think uh, they're just one of those teams that they can create a lot of chances when they... Do play 
play football. Sometimes with Gattuso, he can be a bit cautious in his approach, usually against the bigger side. But generally, uh, Napoli are a team that you'd expect to score a few goals and they've got the attacking prowess. Um, yeah, just it's not just a recent thing, but something that's happened at least in the last decade, if not throughout the whole history, is that Napoli just aren't clinical enough at times. Um, even if they produce abundance of chances or they can work their way into the final third, they either don't get the shots off in time, uh, the shots aren't accurate enough, or yeah, it's well, back to the second point or to further elaborate on that, just the placement of the shots might not be better. So um, it's just one of those things with Napoli that uh, the days where they can score goals for fun and they can score some of the loveliest goals by other times. Yeah, just to do the simple things, um, yeah, it just doesn't go their way. Is it a case uh, to an extent of just waiting for Aussie men to really find his feet and settle down in Italy? Uh, I think so. And it also doesn't help that he's had the injury concerns that he had. So, you know, with the shoulders and then uh, COVID. So mm. uh, it's not good, especially in your first season. And uh, I don't know what his uh, ability to speak Italian is like. So uh, I'm sure if he hasn't had a grasp of the language, uh, I'm sure that wouldn't help his situation either. So um I suppose that uh, with a bit more familiarity with his teammates and, of course, more match time experience in Serie A, we might be able to see um, what he's produced so far in bursts and hopefully in the future something far more consistent. Definitely a player with a lot of potential there, a lot of potential. I saw his debut at Parma back when we were allowed to have a couple of fans in the stadium and he... He was electric, really, really exciting. And he's one of those players where you know he's got the ball because of what the people around you are doing. You know, everyone's just waiting for something to happen. But Kev, I'm going to come to you for this because Vito's a little bit more serious and you're a bit of a clown. So I'm, I seem to be the only one who thought the goal was absolutely hilarious to the point where when it happened, I just started laughing. I thought it was amazing. I don't think um, we're talking about the the Napoli goal. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you'd find it uh, hilarious if you're an Inter fan. No, but there's a hundred uh, other clubs that can look at this and laugh. Yeah, I, I, you know, I suppose it's. I'm I'm a fan of Handanovic, so I, I think some of the blame on him. I think I saw you tweet that it's entirely the 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 Vrij just runs into it. Um, <laughs> And a bit of slapstick defending, I suppose, at the end of the weekend. Um, yeah, good to see. But there's been there's been bigger howlers. I mean, you know, Morante today for Roma nearly dropped one into his own mm. net, which would be much funnier. But uh, but yeah, it was it was it was all right. I see. I've I had this weird thing where I didn't see the ball go in because of Handanovic's position. He was between the ball and the camera, obviously. But then. Aussie men just started celebrating. And I was thinking, what's happened here? And then I saw the ball just nestling in the net. And I thought, oh, well, it's it's going to have to be ruled out because Andanovic had the ball and it was kicked out of his hands. And, you know, all this is just going through your head. And you think, I know this is a goal. 
But something in my head is telling me that this can't be a goal because I have never seen this happen before where the defender effectively kicks the ball out of his goalkeeper's hands. I think that's just far as well. Uh, Possibly. It makes, it, it makes seed, <laughs> seeds doubt in everybody's mind that it's gonna, they're going to they're gonna disallow it for some silly reason. Quite possibly right there. Um, look, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to go over to talk to Hugh and Burns now has been covering Serie A Feminile for us all season long, which that itself was packed full of goals this weekend. Empoli scored six, Milan scored four, Juve scored three, and there was a lot of fun to be had there, including Roma away at Fiorentina. They hit the post at least 25 times. So, get us like a quick break, talk to Ewan, and we'll be back. Ewan, you've come on board. You've been covering Serie A Feminile for us, as well as the men's Serie A. And you interviewed Roma's Maria Banyushic during the week. How is she finding playing in Italy since her arrival in February? And she seemed to have pretty high hopes for her time with the Giallarossa. Hi, guys. I hope you're all good. So Maria seemed really happy with how things are going in Rome. She said that the league has got a much more intense tactical focus than most other leagues that she's played in, given that you know she's played in England, France, China, quite a few different teams in Sweden. She's more than worth listening to when it comes to comparing different leagues. She, she had complete confidence in both herself and the team. She's convinced that they can break out of this run that Roma seemed to be in where they finished fourth the past two seasons. And they look pretty pretty much set to do the same again this year. Um, I asked her about the overhead kick she scored against Inter that did the rounds a few weeks ago. And I've never heard someone sound so unasked about the fact that they'd scored pretty much a perfect overhead kick. I asked if she practised it a lot and she just sort of said, yeah, you know, when I was young I practised it a bit. But then she she went on and said that every club she's been at, she's asked the wingers to put in that exact cross for her, basically. And then Anna Maria Certurini was the first person who actually did it. And um, I, kind of, I kind of pushed her on whether she might start doing that in most games. And she, she refused to say that she'll definitely do it again, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if she did. Um, and then she, she joined the club in February this year. So obviously she's moved to you know, a new country during a global pandemic. It's far from ideal, everything being shut. You can't go out and meet people. But she said she said the club had given her everything she needed. She seemed completely settled, and similar with the overhead kick, she just seemed completely unfazed by moving to a new country during a global pandemic. I absolutely love it, and her personality definitely came across in the in, in the interview that you wrote up. We spoke after you did it, and you said there were slight Zlatan vibes off her, and I absolutely got that impression, especially on what you just said there. But. In terms of the Serie A table at the moment, Juventus are just getting ever closer with every week because, quite simply, they just do not lose. So is it just a matter of when they pick up the title now rather than if? We hear all the time when teams are on their way to a title that you know they're, they're unstoppable. We can't see where the next loss is going to come from. We're hearing it with Inter in the men's game now. We're hearing it with Man City over in England. But this, this is literally true with Juve at the moment. They've won all 18 games this season that they've played, which is ridiculous. And there's only four left. So, you know, you back them to win the whole lot. Um, but they've not actually won the league yet because Milan are only six points behind them. They've, they've won a mere 16 out of 18. And there's no prizes at all for guessing who they lost those two games to. But um, the only game Juve have lost domestically for the past two years was recently, and it, it was against Roma. 
they're playing each other in the Coppa Italia semi-final and Roma managed to win the first leg 2-1. The second one is next next weekend, I believe. Um, and I asked Maria if she's you know, particularly excited about the prospect of knocking Juve out, given you know how good they are. But she was pretty clear that it's you know her sort of happiness with the results got nothing to do with the fact that it's against Juve. She just wants to get into that final and try and win it. She just she's desperate to win stuff with Roma, and she's convinced that they can. And you know, at first she was saying it, and I thought you know it sounds like sort of typical footballer diplomacy, but. I think it shows that she really thinks Roma have got the potential to beat anyone and everyone. It doesn't it doesn't really register to them that it's Juve or not. It's just a team that's in front of them and they want to beat them. On to this weekend's games. Empoli hit six against Florentia, but there was one goal in particular that we just got to talk about from Giorgia Miotto. So Empoli have been involved in quite a few high-scoring games this season. Um, and that was a pretty big win because... Despite what the scoreline may show, Florentia are only one point behind them going into that game. So it, it takes them up to fifth. They might start to think about hunting down Roma, who are fourth. And that, that gap is seven points at the moment, so it would be tough with four games left, but it's certainly not impossible. Um, as for Giorgio Miotto's goal, that it was really, really special. She picked it up just inside her own half, right over by the touchline. She almost sort of fell out of play as she controlled the ball. But then she drove at the defence and they just kept backing off and backing off. And then, uh, I've watched it a few times, but the camera angle is quite hard to work out. It looks like a sort of, it's a mixture of a delicate lob and like a pile driver into the top corner. It, it seems to be a bit of both. The, the keeper's a bit bit off of their line. And uh, Miotta's obviously spotted that and gone for it. And on the commentary, I think I saw Connor point it out on Twitter, that there's a wonderful, exuberant wow from the commentator that's worth hearing when you go and watch the goal. And we're back. Okay. We've got to get down to the bottom because it's that time of the season where that stuff becomes a priority. And for a long time, throughout Saturday night, it looked like all of the fun was going to have been had at the bottom because Parma, 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 they went away to Cagliari with, at the time, three of their next four games saw them take on Cagliari, Crotone and Torino. So things were very much things very much had the potential of becoming interesting. Palmer went 2-0 up. We've been there before, um, but looked okay. Conceded just before halftime, and you thought, all right, we know we know what's going to happen here. Then Dennis Mann scored a lovely goal, and that was something that Palmer haven't done this season when they've been two goals to the good and conceded. They've collapsed. They responded this time, so I thought, right, this is something different. This is good. This is encouraging. Kutska was off the pitch, though, so they didn't really have a leader at this point because he went off at halftime. Bruno Alves was still sitting on the bench doing nothing. And Cagliari got one, and it was 3-2 going into the 90th minute, and you thought, this isn't finished. (laughs) Parma are not getting out of here with all three points. Or Cagliari, I was saying Crotone, Cagliari were playing with Giovanni Simeone on the pitch, Joao Pedro on the pitch, Leonardo Pavoletti on the pitch, and Alberto Cherry, Parma-born, ex-Parma player, useless lump of a striker, all on the pitch. And you just thought, you could see the way it was going. They're lumping balls in, lumping balls in, lumping balls in. Pavoletti, Joao Pedro, and Cherry, they're going to win a header. 
They are going to win a header if you put enough balls into the box. And Parma haven't dealt with headers all season. Bruno Alves is still sitting on the bench because he wasn't one of the five subs to come on. If ever there was a game to bring him on, it was this one. Of course, the inevitable happened. Cagliari scored an equaliser with a really nice goal in, I believe, the 92nd minute. And he still kind of thought, and to be to his credit, Patrick Kendrick said it on commentary, you kind of expect Cagliari to go on and get a winner here now. And that's what they did. And it was Alberto Cherry. Oh, it was unbelievable. Vito. Parma are done now. There is no way back. No, I can't, I can't see it either. And I don't... Um, yeah, I... When I see results like this, unfortunately, I think it's a symptomatic of um, the versus time at Parma, you know, but both spells that uh, they can get these good leads and then they just collapse. But Kayari uh, uh, winning 4-3, Cherry with the winner, um, happened uh, to Sampdoria late in 2019 where Samp were 3-1 up and Cherry, pretty sure it was Cherry that got the winner in that fixture too. So, yeah, some interesting things can happen in uh, Sardinia from time to time. You mentioned Diverso. I've... I'm not sure if he'll be there next season. And it would make sense to keep him, to guide them back up from Serie B. But I've got it on pretty good authority that a lot of the newer players, particularly the younger newer players, aren't exactly big fans of, of the Versa, which, which might explain why they don't always play and why it seems to be Man or Mihoela in the eleven, And you don't really see the two of them play. I think... The one time they did both play was against Spezia and then one of them went off and they threw away a two-goal lead. But it's not great. But Kev, we've seen Krause's vision is long-term. The new stadium talks, a lot of the talk that... A lot of the things that I've had said to me from people at the club suggest that they're happy enough knowing that their project is permanent and won't be spoiled by a relegation. So that's got to be something encouraging for Parma in that, okay, they'll get relegated this year, but you would back them to come back up. Yeah, I think it has to be positive for Parma fans. We've got a scenario where I don't think you're going to see much happening in the transfer market anyway because of the coronavirus. I think you've got clubs that have lost huge amount of money. Um, so actually the plan that they probably had in their back of their minds and maybe haven't fully sort of implemented yet, if they're confident, you know, and, and they're you know, fully behind what they want to do, and if that's getting in a coach to work with younger players, maybe find younger players, maybe, you know, in two or three years, then sort of turn over uh, them to generate a bit of profit to reinvest, then having a plan at this stage of kind of what's going to happen in the summer with pandemic is probably an extremely positive position to be in because I think there'll be a few clubs over the summer whether they go down or even maybe come up into uh, Syria that will be flitting between do we lump a load of money on a few players that you know have been let go and all these other things and if you've got that strategy I think it will, will be a huge benefit. You've got to feel for Cagliari right? Because they got this big win in the circumstances and they would have been thinking, okay, look, Torino now, they're only X amount of points ahead. We can catch them. Torino went away 
or they didn't go away. They they played Roma at home on Sunday and they came from behind to win 3-1 against Roma. And now, Vito, Torino are 15. So you've got Cagliari on 25 points. Benevento and Fiorentina are 17th and 16th, respectively, both on 30 points. Torino are also on 30 points, but they're ahead of both of them. And they still have a game in hand. So Cagliari might not get relegated, but Torino won't. Torino are, they're soaring now. Fiorentino and Benevento will be a little bit nervously looking over their shoulders. Um, I I do think that will likely be the case on paper because uh, um, although Coyote did get a fantastic win, it's just that uh, Benevento, although they've had some bad losses, there have been times where they've actually been a rather decent side and been able to get some decent results. Um Fiorentina, though, for all the players they've got, and uh, I don't think they've got a squad that should be down in 16th place, but they're just not getting the results, Fiorentina, ultimately. They just, um, whether it's Comiso's choosing coaches or what, but uh, there's got to be something there in Florence that's, uh, you know, causing them not to be that much of a threat. And... Uh, you can only rely on Ribéry so much, but being 38 years old, um, he's not able to be fit for the whole season. And uh, Dusan Vlaovic, he's been absolutely fantastic for them. He's had a breakthrough season, but even with 15 goals, that might not be enough to save them. And then, of course, they've got Drongovski in goal. He makes some excellent saves, but I don't think he gets enough protection or he's been doing so much to prevent far more embarrassing losses that, you know, um, he, he can only try and uh, keep the score lines from being respectable for so long. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they get sucked in one way or another. After, after, the, um, after Torino won this afternoon, I, I took a look at Cagliari and then Benevento's next, you know, the rest of the fixtures for the, for the season. Um I, I don't see Calgary getting more than seven points. So at most, I've got them for finishing on 32. They do play Benevento. And I think when I was looking at the fixtures, I put that down as a draw just because it's very close to call. And if Calgary... Off offense. Well, yeah. But, but, but Benevento have also got to play Crotone, which I think they'll... You know, they've, they've, they've when I've seen them this year, I'm quite confident they'll pick up three points there. So they finish on 33, and that's where I have Calgary sitting on 32. Fiorentina could get pulled in, and I'd be really concerned with just the overall mood within the within the camp there. After watching them against Sassuolo, they were they were the, the marginally better of the first half. They they probably could have taken another couple of chances as being out of sight. But uh, De Zerbi made a triple substitution at half time that changed the game. But it was it was less about Fiorentina not having the ability to do similar with their changes from the bench, but just the fact that the they, they must have scored two quick-fire penalties to Swallow before, you know, with at least half an hour left to play. Mm. And it was like the Fiorentina players had no fear of relegation. That, you know, they, they put probably what you'd class as the, an adequate amount of uh, effort in as if they were to be finishing mid-table. And I had to double check how actual, actually close they were to relegation when I was writing my match report. Because I thought to myself, this isn't a club 
playing like they, you know, ball players playing like they think they're going to be pulled into it, which would worry me as a Fiorentina fan, but fills me with, I suppose, confidence that they, they, there's something behind there that they think that they've got enough to get out of it, whether that's the goals of Blaivich and, you know, Ribery's experience to maybe create things. But it's, it was a strange performance from a side so close to the relegation places. Is this not just what Fiorentina do now, though? Because they did, they did this in 2018-19. I can't remember what happened last season because I don't know what was last season and what was this. So, But they definitely did it in 2018-19 because I remember a game at Parma where both teams had fallen dramatically towards the end of the season. And Fiorentina ended up staying up on the last day of the season that year. But this is just what they've become. And it's hard not to think that they just need the entire squad to be gutted. I, they've got good players, but there's there's something in the water there. And everyone that's been there for a while now is just playing so far below their level. Maybe not on an individual basis, but when they're working as a collective, they're dreadful. And if they got relegated from Serie A, they probably wouldn't be missed from what you see every week. Fiorentina as a club, as a city to go to for games, yeah, absolutely. But the dross that they've been turning out for the last few years, you wouldn't miss them. And you'd have to say that, like, almost good riddance, they deserve to get relegated for the way they've been on the pitch over the last few seasons. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, no, well, yeah, go, go, Vita. I agree, kind of. But... Hmm. I was also going to add that uh, the more I think about it and the way Fiorentina have been getting these um, results or producing these performances, I was starting to think that with all this, with the speculation they've had about coaches since Comis was taken over, I can't help but feel that if either... Maurizio Sarri or Luciano Spalletti go to Fiorentina, 
I got a feeling that it might be like a career finisher for them. Or if things don't go their way, that would um, really harm their careers considerably more. I think um, maybe someone up and coming might take the risk, but uh, I feel that the way things ended for Spalletti at Inter and Sarri at Juve, I think if they have a bad spell with the Viola, um, I think it would uh, damage their CV despite the experience that both coaches have had. I think, I think I think Fiorentina have dropped so far off the collective consciousness of fans outside of Fiorentina that those coaches going there, they it, anything they did there would probably be quickly forgotten because lots of people forget even Fiorentina exists with what they've been doing in recent years. Well, they, they went, they issued a statement during the match, I believe it was during the match, they went into Silenzo Stampa, the, the press blackout, and the players are now in retiro ahead of the game against Verona, which usually means bad news. Something's happening, but what more can they do? They, they sacked Iacchini because he was dreadful. Had to get him back in because, unfortunately, Cesare Prandelli was experiencing some personal problems, and we've spoken about that. But if if they stay up, what do they do? Because Fiorentina cannot be living season to season hoping not to get relegated into Serie B. This is a club that we should be seeing competing with Atalanta, trying to be the other club getting into the Champions League places. Vito? Uh, yeah, I agree. At least if the Champions League's not uh, too much of a stretch, but they should be fighting for Europe. You know, I see... Atalanta, like you just mentioned, uh, they've been punching above their weight for the last few years. And, uh, you know, you see that Lazio, especially since Simone Inzaghi's been senior coach, if they're not getting into the Champions League, they're at least getting into the Europa League. They're playing well and in only few spots. And uh, it looks like with me, I mean, in my view, that we've pretty much got the top seven locked up. And next season, you know, let's say that things continue as they are, that this uh, Super League doesn't start right away, just for a matter of speaking. Uh, you'd fancy those top seven clubs to stay the same. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any other clubs looking to break into that uh, bunch there. And uh, you would have thought that Fiorentina with Comiso would have been able to do it, but so far they've looked... Uh, no better than what they were when the, the Lavalle family were in charge. You've got players there like Drungovsky, Vlaovic, who will have suitors. Why on earth, Kev, would you stay at Fiorentina? Like, you see what Vlaovic has done this season. He's been excellent, particularly in the second half of the season. Drungovsky's been excellent since he's been there. You'd leave. Yeah, and you, you probably think Fiorentina might even want to cash in on them if they did what Vito was saying and, and had a, a sort of a strategic plan to become a, you know, we've just been talking about them getting into European places. Even if they attempted to achieve what Sassuolo and Verona have, which is, you know, they, and they look like they've got a clear plan of a following somebody's philosophy, maybe actually giving some time to create something, play entertaining football, pick points up and actually get people Maybe more people going through the gates and they can go through the gates when uh, fans are back mm. in the stadium. But they probably need, 
it's okay. It's okay getting rid of the deadwood, but they're going to need to cash in on either Blaivich or Jogowski um, to bring in five or six more players. Or, um, you know, I don't know what their youth setups like. Maybe Vito's more uh, knowledgeable on that. I mean, you know, whether there's anything coming through from that, and you can you can pro- focus on the youth coming through. Based on the roundups that I've been doing, unfortunately, Fiorentina's youth setup hasn't been doing too great. They're more or less near the bottom of the table. They don't look like they're going to push anywhere near the top half. And although there have been some kids coming through the last few years who they've been near the top in previous campaigns, the current bunch don't look like they're really going to enter the conversation for the senior squad. Uh, most of the kids that Fiorentina have had recently have been youngsters that they've managed to pick from other clubs. Someone like Federico Chiesa has been more or less the exception to the rule where he at least came through the Primavera setup. Other than him, um, not many kids from Fiorentina's uh, youth team have really managed to work their way up into the senior squad and shown some real potential. You've mentioned the two of these names already, Vito, but if you were Rocco Camiso, you would be just going to one of or both of, and seeing who says yes, Spalletti and Sarri, and just saying, how much money do you want? Oh, In that case, I think, yeah, is probably someone like that might be the only way to entice them. Uh, probably, in the, like I said, probably in this stage of their careers, a move to Fiorentina, the way they are, might be a risk, but I think considering the results lately and um, what they can buy on the transfer market, even before COVID hit, I don't think uh, there's enough there to really make sure that they can push for Europe or even, uh, I mean, like go deeper to Europe or even try and win the third Scudetto in their history. So, if, uh, if money's going to be the only thing to lure them, then so be it. Because unless they get a lucrative wage, I can't see Spalletti and Sarri doing uh, much with this team. And even with their knowledge and experience, uh, you know, I don't think they've got much to work with. I'll, I think moving to Fiorentina would have to be some sort of personal game. More than likely, it'd be a financial game. Mm. Well, that's the thing with the two of them. There is that personal connection with maybe not Fiorentina as a club, but the city, the region of Tuscany as well. So who knows? Anyway, on to the other games, which didn't really matter all that much. Udinese beat Crotone 2-1. Rodrigo de Paul scored twice. But the big talking point here is I'm not going to say who scored for Crotone because, of course, it was him. And I was talking to you guys just before we came on air about the, the top scorers since March 2021 in the top five European leagues this season. In joint second place, you've got Benzema, Lewandowski, Harry Kane and Iheanacho all on seven goals. But sitting way out ahead on 10 since March, 10 goals is Simi, who's playing for the worst team in Serie A, but he is Banging G's, as Clint Dempsey would have rapped about back in his Fulham days. Kev, we don't have to talk about him, but Simi. Yeah, 
if I'm going to be miserable, I'll say it was another penalty. But He scored not... 10 goals since March. He scored 17 <laughs> goals this season. Crotone are bottom of the Serie A table. And you're complaining that he scored a penalty. <laughs> no, well, I think it says uh, real positive things about how Crotone is you know, probably, you know, on on the table, the worst, uh, the worst side in Serie A this year, but he's he's not going to be there next year. And maybe you know, if, if Fiorentino, we've just been speaking about, lose Blavich, maybe that's who they have for a couple of years, where they can build around him. That I would assume. I think we mentioned this last week. He's in the last year of his contract. Wouldn't be a huge financial outlay to get Simi in. Um, quality, proven quality, and. Um, then sort of start building from there and then draft somebody in to take over him when he's uh, in his early 30s. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry, I was trying to clear my throat there. You stopped talking at a really, really unfortunate <laughs> time for me. Um, the other games that were played this weekend saw Sampdoria remarkably came, I believe, from behind to beat Verona 3-1. Vito, you must have been delighted with this one. Yes, I was. And... Yeah, another good win. And uh, against Verona, the first half, I thought the Giallo Blue were the better side and will play. But then Ranieri, I think this is where his uh, um, experience came handy. And of course, his tinkering was to our advantage. Uh, Antonio Candreva, Manolo Gabbiadini, and uh, Keita Blaude came on. Samp had a bit more attacking endeavor, and the subs made their impact. So. Um, it was uh, great to see them improve in the second half, get the result like they did. And uh, Jakub Janto scored a lovely goal. That volley was superb. And then Morton Torsby, he got justice for last week. So it was robbed of a goal against Napoli, but uh, um, he managed to seal the result with a header. And uh, Silvestri probably should have done better of his line, but uh, good opportunism from the Norwegian midfielder. So. Happy for the boys and happy for him in particular. Rob, robbed of a goal last week, given a goal yes. this week. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Justice. Yeah. He's obviously a listener, Vito. He, he heard you, your <laughs> impassioned rant last week and he wanted to make things even. <laughs> you, you could have been forgiven on Saturday for thinking that Serie A couldn't have topped what had happened between Cagliari and Parma. But then... Benevento rocked up at Rome's Stadio Olimpico and they they gave they gave Lazio a good all game. Lazio won five three in the end, but Kev, it wasn't as comfortable as scoring five goals at home to Benevento probably should be. No, um, as again we said before we came on air, I, I got, got lost as to where we were. At one point, I thought it was it was four one to Lazio or it was four two, and mm. I you know I think just purely the fact that it got back to four three. After Lazio, I think the biggest margin they had was going 3 0 up um, relatively early on. And I suppose that's that's the concerns that their their fans have. They've got they've got a game in hand now on the other sides chasing Champions League places. If they win that, they would be uh just behind Juve by a point. They are five from five, which I saw Alistair McKenzie um tweet, I think. Yeah. And uh I, it's one of those where it's it's like my mind's playing tricks on me to think that they have had that run of form because mm. you see results like this and you keep thinking, oh, Lazio again, nearly 
you know, blowing it. They almost, they do almost what Palmer keep doing, but you know, get away, get away with it with the odd goal victory. Um, but I suppose the good thing is, is that they're not, they're not sneaking one nil victories, uh, you know, and if they've got this sort of firepower, um, then they, then they, they possibly will. I suppose they turn that five, or let's rule out Inter. They turn that four looking into three Champions League places into five looking into Champions League places. I think Roma losing three now out now. Yes. Um, So it makes a really interesting run still at the top of the table as well as at the bottom. You say the Roma are out, but on Thursday, because of course we've got the the joys of a midweek round of Serie A, Roma play Atalanta. If Roma win that, they're right back in it. Napoli play Lazio. So we might be having a completely different conversation in a week's time. Maybe. We'll see. Well, yeah, I assume we're not having a midweek pod. There you go, Vito. <laughs> Breaking no, in. we are. But what I mean is <laughs> I, I, was, I made that point part badly. Lazio are playing Napoli on Thursday and then they're playing Milan on Monday. So things could change very, very quickly for them. Whereas if Roma beat Atalanta, a direct competitor, and then you'd expect them to win away at Cagliari, the picture changes very, very quickly. Yeah, it's it's hard this time of year because you look at you 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 know you often weigh out games before they're played with you take into account form and probably strength of opposition on paper. And at this stage of the season, you add to that pressure of you know what's behind them. Teams with no pressure obviously have that freedom, uh, and the ones that have got pressure on them either will or they you know rise to the challenge. So you know. Um, I suppose you're right in assuming or thinking that that maybe Roma will get a point or better at Atalanta, as much as you don't want to see that. Um, so you never know. But taking out taking out the pressure element, I just I just can't see anybody else breaking that current top six really. Fair enough. I I think Lazio are to be applauded because they do not know how to win comfortably. Alistair McKenzie's been banging on about this for quite a long time, and they. Their games are always interesting, you know? There's always something going on, even when it doesn't seem like it is with Lazio. Vito, a game where there really wasn't all that much going on was, unfortunately for you, the game you covered for us. Milan beat Genoa 2-1 at the Stadio San Siro in the early game. And they were kind of fortunate to win. Especially when you consider that... (laughs) The person who scored the winner was one of the Genoa strikers. Gianluca Scamacca had the ball bounce off his back and he got diverted into the net. So, yeah, very unfortunate when the striker of the opposition does his job in part, but he's doing it for the opposition. So, yeah, very bad luck. But in general, I thought Milan... Although they dominated most of the play, they didn't create many dangerous chances. I thought Rafael Leal was a bit disappointing. He was a bit wasteful on his part. And uh, um, there weren't too many standouts in that game for the Rossoneri. So um, I picked uh, Tomori as the man of the match for that one. And he could have done better on the Destro goal, but I think he made up uh, for it in a lot of other ways. And he was the one that pretty much... Or Skamaka into scoring that own goal. So, yeah, another win for the Rossoneri, but. Cow- cowardice 
forced Skamaka into scoring that own goal. <laughs> it was bad, <laughs> wasn't it? It wasn't Tomori, yeah. You know, but he was there, wasn't... Tomori. Just, he jumped, yeah. might have got a faint touch, or looked like it. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's fair to bring up that Skamaka should not have turned in that way. No. That was horrific. It's one of those where if, if say you're losing one nil, you get a late penalty, you, your regular penalty takers off the pitch. Somebody else steps up and they miss it. Yeah. You know that's fine. You know they've had they've had the well confidence. You know they've had the guts to go up and do it. But yeah. turning your back on a corner, you know when it's you know it's two yards between you and the player that's originally gone from the ball is just. <sighs> Oh, just shaking your head. (laughs) Well, they needn't worry, look, because as as we're having this conversation, the European Super League has been announced. And the the three main points on the format are that there will be 20 participating clubs with 15 founding clubs and a qualifying mechanism for a further five teams to qualify. That's nice. Generous of them. Based on achievements. You'd imagine league finishes. It doesn't actually say that. It says achievements in the prior season. So read into that what you will. Uh, midweek fixtures with all participating clubs continuing to compete in their respective national leagues, but UEFA have subsequently released a statement to say the clubs will be banned from everything else and they'll be suing them. So that obviously won't be happening. And it says it will be an August start with clubs participating in two groups of 10, playing home and away fixtures with the top three going automatically through to quarterfinals. Teams finishing fourth and fifth will then compete in a two-legged playoff for the remaining quarterfinal positions, and then a two-legged format in a format in the knockout stages will be used to reach the final, which will be played as you'd expect over one leg at a neutral venue. Basically, it's not too dissimilar to the new Champions League format, but a lot more exclusive and a lot more nonsense involved. Yeah, well, you've got you've got twelve clubs here uh, announcing a twenty. 20- league 20 team league hmm. which i don't doubt that some people will come forward but that's from free that's from free um championships you know free countries you've already got two you know you've already got the french and the german sides that don't at this stage sound like they want to get involved the 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 fact that it's a closed shop for for all but five teams is you know frankly ridiculous um that they can even well Probably won't be branded as a European Super League is ridiculous because half of Europe's not even not even involved, not in, certainly not in the um, the actual league. There was a sorry final thing, but yeah, there was an interesting thing. I don't know if this is the same in Italy um, because it got very political in the UK about the um, the steps that can be taken against organisations if their business, the way that an owner, a business owner, is running the company is against the national interest. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, and whether then they get involved and, and don't actually allow the clubs to at least either operate under the, sta- the same ownership as what it's got now, or to even complete in a European Super League, it's going to get very, very messy. And again, I think I just, I just believe it uh, to be a bargaining chip. It's just. The, even the current sides that are not within this group of 12 are weaponising this European Super League to get what they want off of UEFA tomorrow or whenever we're going to eventually have this vote on the reformatting of the current Champions League. Real Madrid President Florentino Perez has been announced as being the first chairman 
of the Super League. It's being branded as the Super League, by the way. I just thought I would add that in. Andrea Agnelli's vice chairman, unsurprisingly, as is Joel Glazer, who is co-chairman at Manchester United. Agnelli has spoken about it. He said, our 12 founder clubs represent billions of fans across the globe and 99 European trophies. We've come together. <laughs> how many of those European trophies are you based? We've come together at this critical moment, enabling European competition to be transformed, putting the game we love on a sustainable footing for the long-term future, substantially increasing solidarity and giving fans and amateur players a regular flow of headline fixtures that will feed their passion for the game while providing them with engaging role models. But these headline fixtures, that's mythical because they, they're not headline fixtures if they're getting played every week. Uh, no, they these marquee fixtures. Sorry, I wanted to give Vito some time, but yeah, but yeah, I'll, let me just say another couple of things because this really does. This really does. This 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 grinds me as much as I got a final um, thought from the two of you, and then we'll move on from yeah, that. Yes, um, I do understand that um, when you, when you talk to people about the money that's coming into the, the the major championships from TV revenue, that they are all having to sort of deal with an, an aging population um, that were maybe paying for pool, uh, for full TV coverage of a whole uh, league season and the uh, youngsters, you know, I'm not a youngster anymore. They're not consuming their football in the same way. You know, the ones that don't necessarily go to the club week in, week out, we're talking about solely about TV viewers and there are fewer, fewer people willing to pay for seasonal packages for football coverage and they want to consume smaller bite-sized chunks, you know, highlights of games. And they're the they're the same consumers that will buy a console football game, um, you know, which has got thousands and thousands of teams to use and they'll play with the same four or five teams all the time. And that is almost what they want to see now on the te- television screens. And they're miles, thousands of miles away from these clubs. And I think they are starting to consider if, if that is the only way that they can actually generate cash is by getting more viewers that will sign up on smaller packages to watch these games with the same sort of players and teams that they want to see every week. And it will just cause this huge, huge void. And lots of clubs will go to the wall because there are other social activities that, that, that young, young people do these days that, that keep them away from stadia in person. Um, and it will just be a constant sort of cycle of getting clickbait and any of those, you know, the teams will probably eventually be invited due to how many social media followers they've got. And it's, it's I, depressing for me, sorry. It is depressing. Just before I throw over to Vito for your final thoughts, um, Juventus are leaving the ECA, the European Club Association, and Andrea Agnelli has resigned as president and is also walking away from the UEFA Executive Committee. So this is very much happening they're very much trying to make this happen now Vito final thoughts before we move on from this oh well um I think I gotta choose my words carefully or some of the things I think I'll just leave it to Twitter but on this part what I'll say is I think this is a victory for consumerism and a huge defeat for the true fans of football and the football romantics um you just have to think that of reasons why you fell in love with the game. Just the sport was it easy to play, easy to get into, united you with friends and family, 
made you feel connected to where you're from or what where your roots are, things like that. But uh, uh, this is really just about um, money. It's about greed. I don't think it's about true football. It's about the finances of the game. And I th it shows that the owners of the game are so invested in their financial interests that uh, they, they do not care about the fans. Even if they do, they don't. They just want the money from the fans. Uh, you need balance. Balance is the key in everything in life. And uh, there's so much focus on trying to generate money because these clubs have reputations and all that. But uh, if the final product is uh, not that good, if you see top players, talented players having bad games or the teams are struggling, I mean, what's uh, the point? I mean, let's be hypothetical here. Uh, you look at clubs like the big three in Italy, a lot of them, well, they haven't done a great deal in Europe in the last few years. I mean, they joined the Super League, but results-wise, are they going to be going very far in the Super League? Uh, I showed on, I tweeted on uh, Twitter that uh, Juventus haven't won a European title in 25 years. Do they seriously think they're going to win a title? Or Andrea Agnelli just doesn't care as long as he gets the billions in, he's just happy with the money. But the results, careful little. So... I think, um, sadly, football could be going down the path of sports like boxing and Formula One where the money has just really saturated the sport, that the quality is compromised and the fans aren't enjoying the sport anymore, especially those that understand it, appreciate it and love it. And um, this is my biggest fear because football is probably the only sport I really care about now, the other sports I've falling out of love with them. Yeah, see, see Vito makes a, a, a good point there and about the, the sort of little clubs. I probably feel so, um, I don't know, uh, you know, depressed over this because I I follow a, a, a very big side which is being dragged into this, into this Super League in Liverpool and it feels like they're wrestling my club away from me. If I was... Uh, uh, a regular match goer of Palmer. I don't think you know, say Palmer, say size, where you where you obviously live in in Italy. Um, I don't think I'd be that bothered because actually I'm getting what I'm getting now. You know what I get now out of football. Eighty percent of it is where I've been going with my friends and family since I was a small boy. The experience of seeing friends, talking. It's that social interaction. The other twenty percent on the pitch, I don't care. You know, I'm lucky of, you know, of how I've come about to support the team I support and see some success. But I could quite easily brush this off if I, you know, we discuss moving abroad. And it's like, I wouldn't go and follow, you know, in the last decade, I would certainly not move somewhere, even in Rome, and then go and follow Lazio or Rome. <laughs> you know, those big successful Italian clubs. <laughs> yeah, but I, I probably would find somewhere smaller where you get that social interaction and, you know, the success probably does matter to you on some level, but you're not sort of dragged into these very consumer-led issues that are killing the, the, the elite level. And I think that's what, it do, this, that's what this could do in the next 10, 15 years. It could kill the elite level football, you know, and, and people just be happily going uh, to smaller clubs and, you know, people my age and others will just die and never won't ever come into the game. But that look, that line from Agnelli about 
what did he talk about? Younger players and grassroots. That's a crock of shite. They they couldn't care less about that. And when you think about the the reason people like football is because you get these stories. Like, look at what Atalanta are doing. They they are a club like Parma. They're a smaller club than Parma, you'd argue. They're from a city of 130,000 people. And they are smashing it. They're competing with these giants. Because when you support these smaller clubs, your dream is maybe one day we'll play against Real Madrid. Maybe one day we'll have the chance to go to the Bernabeu, to go to the Camp Nou, to go to Old Trafford and test ourselves against these big clubs. And that's been taken away now. You saw it when, when Atalanta got into the Champions League and Yanelli was saying, oh, well, should a club like Atalanta really be there? Well, Atalanta have gone further than Juve since they've been in the Champions League and they're going to finish ahead of them this season. But, Vito? Uh, just to elaborate on your point, um, I'm going to go a bit further back, but I think that's what made uh, Serie A in the 80s and 90s just so great. There was, look, there was a lot of money being pumped into Italian football in those decades. And, uh, you know, but in saying that, there was a great romanticism about it. And uh, there were the big clubs doing their thing, lots of big spending. You could say it was an influence on the modern game, but you still had these clubs that out of nowhere did something extraordinary. Uh, um, you look at the Hellas Verona Scudetto of 1985. Um, they were pulling off some surprising results and... Other than that, they haven't really done much, but uh, slowly, slowly, they came from Serie, built up a team, and they won. Sampdoria winning the 91 Scudetto, built on young players, and eventually they would add valuable, experienced players, whether it be from the old English First Division and all that. Parma in the 90s, yes, Parma did mm. pump money in, but they were challenging for trophies, and they probably should have won at least one Serie A title too, but they copied Italia titles, they won the Cup Winners' Cup, and UEFA Cups, and so incredible. Napoli buying Maradona, having their golden age, winning those titles, doing a domestic double in 87, winning the 89 UEFA Cup. That's something special. And there are many others that we can roll off. And just all Italian UEFA Cup finals, just incredible. And some of these clubs had good age. And then you have the, right. even the Minos that they would chip in here and there and they have their memories. Like the emergence of Zeman, that club... At Foggia, they were a Serie B club. Okay, he had like two spells, but they eventually came up. In an era where they had big money, those kind of clubs there, they were a small Southern Italian club, and they were punching above their weight, a mid-table team. And uh, again, even tactically, they were different. They were the most attacking side there. And Zem, look, he didn't win big trophies, but he produced so many stars in an era where... Um, clubs were just throwing money away just to bring in champions. And there were so many champions in Italy at that time. Uh, it's this romanticism, the the miracles, those results out of nowhere. I think they make people fall in love with the game. And the Super League, um, you might have teams that have reputation big on paper, but the mistake, the unpredictability, the, the shock value, that's going to dissipate. It's... The Super League will just bring predictability, and predictability brings on boredom. Um, the romanticism that helps bring—that's part of the drama, the drama, the joy—and uh, it will make 
people fall in love with the game. A Super League might make the narrow-minded, the consumers uh, interested, but I think for the true fans, they'll look elsewhere to salvage their love for the game. Can yeah. you look like you want to say one more thing? Well, no, I mean, I mean, Vito's right. I mean, the thing with all those all those romantic tales, the things that the these clubs have clocked onto is that it doesn't actually bring in a, a, a load more people into your stadiums or whatever and generate revenue. They can they can they can dream up their own narratives. You know, they'll have this group of fifteen clubs and um, to, to Jonathan Lupis that you that, that Alistair tweeted today. Yeah. They'll just yeah, it's it's like watching your um your, you know your scripted wrestling your your WW whatever that is now, you'll just you'll just have this churn of non stories that are stories that the people will keep tweeting with social media and the people will get animated with and there'll be some there'll be people all over the world getting they they'll they'll have an interest in something but it isn't the things that you want somebody to have interest you know whether it's the 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 local social issues that people are. are following and supporting through your club it'll just be this this very sort of commercialized disneyfication of 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 football and that just feels like the way the the world wants to go we've seen so many sports and things parma in the 90s wouldn't happen they would they hadn't been in Serie A until about 1990 imagine them rocking up and knocking on the door of the super league as a I don't know if Venezia or someone get, poor than on get promoted this year, and they start knocking. Can we come into the European Super League, guys? Um, unbelievable. Anyway, that's enough. It's more than enough. We're just going to get even more annoyed. Bologna beats Fetsia four one. We're not going to bother talking about it. We've already done over an hour. But what we are going to do to finish on a positive note for me, if nobody else, we're going to play the game that nobody cares about except for the host. And Vita. It's basically the game that Kev doesn't care about. We're going to play <laughs> Mystery Serie A player. Yes or no answers to identify. I always say I like this. To identify the identity. That shouldn't. To discover the identity of a Mystery Serie A player. Vito, I explained last week. Kev's just going to go first every week now because he's dreadful. And let's see oh. if he can win. Kev? I got it. I got it a couple of seconds after the whistle last week. Though. Okay, but that is quite crucially not getting it. It's like if the full-time whistle goes in the football match and you just kick the ball out of the goal and it goes in, yeah. and then you say, well, it's score a goal. It's not how it works. Your two minutes are starting in three, two, one, now. Um, is, are they foreign? The player is foreign, yes. Not okay. from where I thought they were from, actually. Okay. Um, are they an outfield player? They are an outfield player, yes. Okay. Do they play in midfield? They do play in midfield. Yeah, you're um, not really getting anywhere. No, with this, not. but um, continue. Um, do they play in Northern Italy? They do not play yeah, in Northern yeah. Italy. No, Vito, over to you. Do they play in uh, Southern Italy? Uh, no, they do not play in Southern Italy. Oh. Over to you, please, Kev. No, I don't even remember what There's situation. one city that we've identified as not being north or south. They play okay. in Rome. I'll give you it. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do they play for Roma? They do play for Roma. Yes. You've okay. wasted half of your time now to get to the club. Right. Midfielder. Um, is it Henrik Mkhitaryan? 
It's not Mkhitaryan. Oh. Is it Amadou Diawara? It is not Amadou Diawara. Oh, um... this is getting tasty. You've got to win because there's 45 seconds left and you're just guessing Jordan, the player in it. Jordan, Jordan Vertu? No. Or Vera 2. That would be it, yeah. Vito, it's your turn. 33 seconds to go. No, no, no. I'm going to have to push you for an answer. All right, all right. Rick Karsdorp. He's not really a midfielder. It's not Rick Karsdorp, no. This game does things to you. Kev, it's over to you. 20 seconds. Oh, Oh, I think uh, I know. Oh, Vito's got it. I've got Roma on the TV as well. No, Kev, look at me. You've got five seconds or Vito gets Uh, it. Pastore, go on. No. Vito. Uh... Gonzalo Villar. <laughs> With that three is... seconds to go. Uh, Kev, you've lost. It's Gonzalo Villar. Vito, congratulations. Congratulations. Vito is back to winning ways. <laughs> True absences and that. This is probably your first win in about a month. Oh, uh, the, pro- the international breaks, you were absent. Kev yeah. won one. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I think my sicknesses haven't helped. They have not. No. I didn't realize he was Spanish. I thought he was um, South American, to be honest. Oh. I knew he was from a, a Spanish-speaking country, but I didn't realize mm. it was actually Spain. Born in Murcia. It's mm. good. Yeah, well, I've noticed that, you know, I've seen South Americans called Gonzalo, but I mm. haven't heard of any Spanish footballer called Gonzalo, so... Do you know yeah, what? I think that's, that's a bit what random. I think that's why I just assumed he was like Argentine or something. Um, yeah. But there you go. At, at the start of the, uh, oh no, I think it must have been before we came on air when you said you were talking about the person on Friday. Yeah. I jotted down, must be Roma because they played Europa League. And yeah, I still, <laughs> still completely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember how he came up, and it mightn't have even been Friday. It might have been Thursday that I was chatting about him, but he came up. I quite like him, you know. I think he's all right. I think he's all right. Anyway. This has been long. Sorry, people, if you've had to extend a walk <laughs> to listen to this. Um, didn't plan on talking about the European Super League or the Super League, which that's a bad name. Isn't it? It's not a good name. <laughs> but um, anyway, we're, we're off. Kev, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Vito, say goodbye, goodbye in a different language. Ciao a tutti. <laughs> there you go. Um, goodbye, everybody. We'll speak to you soon. Oh, probably very soon, but we'll discuss that. Go away.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.